Hello there, it's Carl. This is Ummum, and today I want to start by telling you about the most surprising meal that I had in 2017. It was at a local fair. We were walking in. Uh, my now six-year-old was an infant in a baby Bjorn strapped to my chest, and Sarah was walking in with my stepdaughter Mirabelle, who immediately saw the ponies that the folks at the fair had strategically, air quotes, put right at the entrance, and so of course she wanted to ride them. But this presented a problem for me because I'd already made the mistake of looking the ponies in the eyes, which was not good because then their infinite sadness infected me and I wasn't trying to deal with this newfound pony guilt while still giving Mirabelle the memory she wanted and deserved. And I think Sarah could sense that my anxiety was causing indecisiveness because she volunteered to go get the pony tickets. And so I was left to sit with my feelings, which wasn't good because I didn't want to feel them anymore. And at the time, one of my go-to methods for dealing with that sort of thing was to eat my feelings. So I started weighing the difficult choice of choosing between elephant ears, fries in a cup, and walking taco, which most people would agree is next to impossible. But somehow before I even needed to make that decision, Sarah came back out of nowhere like a sweet little baby angel with some fruit cup for me to enjoy. So we continued our journey into the fairgrounds, and as I began to munch on some squishier than normal grapes and some oxygen-rich, crudely cut apple bits, I couldn't help but notice that we had moved away from the area with all of the rides and into the more interactive petting zoo-looking part of the fair. So I stopped and asked Sarah, well, hey, what's going on? I thought Mirabelle wanted to ride the ponies. To which she replied, well, I just want to ask you, why are you eating the pig food? <laughs> so as you try to visualize my reaction to finding out that I had accidentally eaten Wilbur's brunch, let me just explain how this relates to today's subject matter. Our adult identities. Who we are at home and at work, who we think we are, and how our job satisfaction plays into all that. When you're trying to figure out if a job feels fulfilling or not, you gotta focus on what's good, acknowledge the bad parts, and realize that you can't change everything and you can't control everything, but you can control your reaction to it. It's all a matter of perspective. I never intended to dine on the swine feed, but instead of dwelling on the way people looked at me as I made a <clears throat> noise, I thought to myself, you know what? I just got to enjoy some semi-fresh, conveniently priced, homegrown produce. And I'm proud to say that in the years since, I haven't had pig food, not even once. So if you find yourself in a role that feels particularly challenging, remember that there are things you can do to make the day-to-day -day more tolerable, and also that no one can stop you from looking for your next opportunity. And let me be clear here, I'm definitely not saying that your work needs to be the thing that defines you or the thing that you build your personality around, but I do hope that everyone figures out how to be excited about what they're doing for a living. That they don't dread going to work each day, or to the basement if you work from home like me. Because the truth is, most of us are still figuring it out along the way. And that's why I wanted to speak with educator and content manager Katie Morrison, because she recently went through some career transitions after experiencing what she could only describe as an adult identity crisis. For a good portion of my adult life, I had the same job or worked within the same organization. And then um, I just had this moment where I just like feel like I broke as an adult and couldn't figure out how to put my pieces back together. And I can't decide if it's like a legitimate midlife crisis or if it was the pandemic. And I think that in doing some additional research about me and my identity and where I am in life, as well as just like midlife crisis and people in general, I've come to find out that that is not an uncommon thing to do and have actually found that recent studies have shown that the midlife crisis has been shifting by 10 years younger. So used to be right around 45 is when they expected you to have a midlife crisis. Now it's closer to 35. So as a 36-year-old woman, I am right smack in that midlife, what I've been calling my midlife shuffle, which is really cool and exciting that we get to do it earlier. That's concerning for me because I'm 30s. 
seven. So maybe I'm in mine right now. I'm gonna maybe. make a podcast. Yeah. Well, the the other piece, right, is that in looking at the concept of a midlife crisis and how millennials do it differently because, you know, we have to do everything differently because we've experienced things differently. Mm -hmm. The the first without technology and with technology and going through multiple financial recessions and 9-11 and wars and things of that nature, that millennials are are that really special generation that some midlife crises are rooted in the fact that millennials can't have the traditional life that they watch their parents have. Mm -hmm. So thinking about growing up getting their schooling, finding a partner, potentially starting a family, buying a house, things like that. A lot of folks are either choosing to delay that or because of economic reasons and and ways that we're not able to flourish the way that our, our parents or people of older generations were, that they are choosing to delay it because they cannot afford children. They cannot afford a home. They cannot find a stable career, things like that. When they came out of college it was 2008 recession things of that nature so it's hard to understand if the midlife crisis is shifting down because people don't feel like they should be where they or they are where they should be in their life that doesn't apply to me because I was very traditional and how I went about it so I think if I'm classifying my midlife crisis it would be a more traditional one where I'm now to the point where I'm like okay I've got kids I've got a house I've got a degree what do I do now and like work is, you know, work. So like, what it, what is it? And then secondarily, there's the idea of passion jobs, which I think emerged primarily with the millennial generation of coming out of school to do something that you're passionate about, not just to work to support your life. And passion jobs, I think, drive us to that place of my passion job doesn't make me enough money or my passion job is to a place where I'm just wrung out point blank period and can't keep going. And that puts you in a place where it's like, well, but I'm passionate about this. So how can I not keep going? Or if it's not this, then what? I've never thought about something different. So I probably put myself in that camp as well. This cloud looks ominous, but you mentioned uh, something that broke you. Are you open to talking about what that was? Sure. Yeah. So I spent, again, 10 years working what I would classify as a passion job. So it wasn't I always felt comfortable financially, so I don't feel like it was underpaid to a significant extent. But then when the pandemic hit, the way that my role shifted in a natural way, something that the way it should have shifted, just like nobody had a rule book for it. Nobody knew how it could happen. But I was in a position where I was in middle management. So I was managed by somebody and managing many others. And, And my classification of leadership has always fallen into a servant leader space where leadership is not about leading so much as it is about taking care of the people that you lead. And I just got to the point where I couldn't take care of myself, let alone take care of the people that I was supposed to be leading. So I felt constantly like I was not able to do what I typically could very easily. And I also felt like I was hurting others in the process, or at least not doing no harm, if you will. So through that, well, that's my dog. I'm sorry. So That's why I wanted to record outside. That's part of it. Yeah. So through that, I think that that just, I couldn't wrap my head around. I am by nature a fixer. If there's a problem, I want to fix it. And so I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix me. I couldn't fix anybody else. I couldn't fix the environment that we were in. I was at home parenting, working, trying to, you know, do the best I could at everything. And I'd never struggled in that way. And so as a person who's experienced a significant amount of privilege in my life where things come pretty easily to me, that was just like, a, it just rocked me. So what do you do in that situation when that's 
the reality you find yourself in. If it starts raining, we'll just walk outside. That's <laughs> pretty close. Uh, what if that's the you wake up and that's the way you feel one day? Then how? What are your next steps? How do you adjust? Yeah. So for me, I ran. Like I found a new job. I left. I went into a job where I didn't manage anybody, where I was just doing something day to day, and it ended up not being a good fit. And so I think as I reflect on that, I wish I had thought about ways to fix the situation. But at that point, I was just totally cooked and couldn't figure it out. And um, had I, th- I think now, and again, in a place where I've sought therapy and where I've engaged with folks around this and, and talked to loved ones, um, I think that you know maybe I should have taken a period of FMLA or thought more less about um, the way I was negatively impacting others and more about the way that I was positively impacting others. But it just, again, I think that when you're in that sort of circumstance, you can't get out of your head. So I think trying to find ways that you can meaningfully ask for help, which is a thing I've never felt comfortable with, but simultaneously finding the help that's meaningful. And if you're trying to figure out who you are at this stage in your 30s, as you mentioned, more of us are prone to crises at this age. Like, How do you form an identity when you felt like you had one and then all of a sudden it gets shook to its core like that? Yeah, so I'm still working on that. So I think something that's interesting from a family perspective, and I don't think my partner would care that I shared this, but like last year when we did our taxes, we had five W-2s. So one, I think if you're not happy, then don't stay unhappy. So I think that every circumstance is temporary where I didn't used to feel that way, I think. So every feeling is temporary. I think find something that brings you joy in different facets. I'm not saying that your work can't bring you joy because my work has brought me a lot of joy in a lot of different spaces. But I also need to be able to find joy outside of work so that if work isn't bringing me the joy that I need, then I can go turn somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that's, the, that's the cue. <laughs> really happens. Yeah. It's uh, windy and stormy now. We're moving the conversation inside. The universe is only slightly pleased with adult identity. Sorry, Porter. Thank you. Okay, so you realized that you had to make a change. You went to that other job thinking that that would solve some of the problems. It didn't feel like it worked out. So then what... Do you think that that sort of a situation is symptomatic of this generation of millennials? Or do you think it's specific to you and what do you... Like you mentioned, therapy can help with things like that, but what is it a continuous improvement process or discovery process? What do you do? Yeah, so I do think it's sort of continuous in the way that that you manage it. One, I I think that um, again, I don't, I'm not comfortable sitting in discomfort or unhappiness. So if I don't feel fulfilled, then I'll move on to the next. And <clears throat> I, th- I had to sort of work my way to that. Um, one place that has been really helpful for me, I don't know if I can talk about a podcast on a podcast, but um, yes, <laughs> but I've been really um, uh, deeply influenced by Anne Helen Peterson. She does work appropriate. And it's really just a, a podcast about work culture and how it's influenced people and um 
what it can and should be versus what it is and shouldn't be. And I think that that helped me to really frame some of the things that I was struggling with personally related to my work identity and my identity as a person and how I, because my identity was so directly linked to work and to the point where, again, during the pandemic, it was so directly linked to work that I felt like I wasn't fulfilling what I needed to for my family as well as the people that I worked for. So it was just like a full cycle failure all over the place. And um, so again, and then when I, um, went to the next job, it was, I, I use the analogies, this is terrible, but I use the analogy of like, you leave a relationship that's not great for you at that moment. And then the next person that you end up with is just like kissing your uncle, that it's like, they're perfectly nice. They're great, wonderful, organizationally, like amazing, but it's just not, you just aren't fulfilled. It's just not the passion. And again, coming from what I classify as a passion job, it just wasn't it for me. And so I like the people I worked with. I like the people I worked for. I like the organization, but it just wasn't, just wasn't the spark. So I think that I had to figure out like, what is, do you need a spark first? Do you need a spark or do you need to find your spark elsewhere? Which I think, again, that podcast, my therapist, my friends have all helped me sort of wrap my head around of like, can I, can I do a job and be fulfilled outside of work? Or conversely, what are the things in my work that would provide that spark? And, and doing some really good work around separating my adult identity from my work. A lot of people turn to, um, what, are, what are they called? Side hustles, if you will, or things like that for fulfilling their um, personal goals that they want to do, like the passion projects. Um, but that leads to burnout overwork and a lot of times there's no time for that especially if you've got a lot of things going on outside of regular work so is is that the answer would you rather have a passion project that's a side project or would you rather have that be your main um nine to five or you know outside of the nine to five now that we all work from home sometimes sort of thing yeah so i think something interesting to know about me is that i have zero hobbies because i used to think that the passion I had for my job was enough that I loved my work. So I didn't need a hobby. And that has really come to be problematic for me. So I think that side hustles are hard because I think that side hustles, I think if side hustles are bringing you some sort of fulfillment creatively or, um, elsewhere, I think that's great. If you need to do a side hustle because you can't make ends meet with your full-time job, then I think that that becomes problematic. And and I think that's probably a, a whole additional podcast about the way that people are compensated and and how we classify work and how we, you know, think about humans as only valuable if they're contributing in a capitalist society, you know, it's, it's a whole, whole different subject. But, um, all that to say that I think that if you're doing it because it's providing you a creative outlet and it's giving you that smart, then yeah, absolutely. Side hustles are great. Didn't work for me again, because I have no other marketable skills. Um, average at best at most, most things outside of, you know, the, the place where I found the most value, which was work. Um, but I think that some of it is, um, family or like, how do you, I'm, I'm really looking forward in this next phase of my life to potentially finding a hobby and which again, I think was too much work when I was thinking about it before, but, um, or getting more involved in my kid's school, figuring out ways to, um, you know, not become a stage mom by any means. That's not, I hope, in my DNA, but at least like investing in it in a different way so that we're all shifting at the same time and and understanding that it's just the next phase. 
that said, I've not figured a thing out. So maybe a year from now, you can email me and ask where I am. So do you think it's the goals or the important thing to say is that work like shouldn't be your hobby? Like you can be passionate about what you do, but it shouldn't be your identity. I think when people tie their whole identity to what they do, that's when things can be problematic if they especially if they separate themselves from that a job like so what do you what else i think it's not true that you don't have any hobbies i feel like you probably do <laughs> i'm There's really a, good at not keeping plants alive so, so keeping plants really dead is yeah. i guess a hobby so what do you think uh you hope for yourself in the next year as you're you know seems like you're figuring it out slowly but surely maybe mm-hmm Yeah. So I think to answer your first question, I would never tell somebody else how to function in their life. So like if somebody else is like, I, this is, this is bullshit. I am, I am my work and my work is me. And that's where I find my passion. And that's where I find my value. If you feel good in that, I'm all about it. Where I think I sit is that if you attach your identity to your work and you are unhappy, then it doesn't have to be that anymore. And that's sort of what has taken a lot for me to to unpack is that idea of like just because people expect things from you or because you have put so much stock and energy and and emphasis on a certain piece of who you are if that piece of who you are is making you unhappy in this case it was again um just how i was looking at and thinking about work but if that's making you unhappy then you should try new and different things and again i'm not confident that i have exited the midlife shuffle, if you will. But that said, I think I feel more confident in making decisions that are hopefully moving me toward a place where I can feel um, satisfied or like I'm making decisions for the right reasons in the future. So um, again, finding that spark somewhere else or, or maybe it'll come back and work, but Um, But again, not sort of just resigning yourself to the fact that it is what it is and there's nothing else. That was educator and content manager Katie Morrison talking about figuring out who she is at work, at home, and what her passions are. Because this episode has taken so long for me to actually publish, it's been months since Katie started her job. So I sent her a text earlier and wanted to know how it's been going for her, and this is what she said, and I quote, Every day I'm learning something new, personally and professionally, and still have lots to learn, but with all of the mid-life shuffling and reshuffling, I think I found a stopping point, and for that, I'm grateful. That's lovely to hear, and I hope it continues for you, Katie. Music for this episode is from Mystery Mammal, and their cover of Oh Come All Ye Faithful is on the Free Music Archive. Um, I was looking at the show in the feed, and I got one of those inactive stickers next to the, the show. When you look at all you know, like your list like that, it's a little sticker that says, This show is inactive. And that kind of pissed me off, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that. I'm going to make sure that that goes away and it stays away. And we're going to kick this thing back into high gear, I can tell you that. So look for it in the feed because I do enjoy it and I just have to figure out how to make it a regular part of my existence here. So thank you so much for listening and have a nice day. We'll talk soon. Bye.